the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. This episode I'll be chatting with Sir Nick Hine. He's the Managing Director of Babcock's new AUKUS and International Division. We're going to be discussing providing support within Australia for a nuclear submarine capability and other technologies AUKUS will provide access to. Sinek, welcome to the show. Grant, thanks very much for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. Well, with that, let's crack into it. And I think the best way to start is going to be, can you please give us a summary of your career to date? You've held some very esteemed titles and uh, also give us an overview of Babcock's history and its operations. Thanks, Grant. So, um, uh, yeah, the, the title thing is probably grander than it sounds, but 37 years in the Royal Navy, I joined um, straight from school. Uh, I am a submariner by choice, so I've spent a lot of my time in submarines, mostly nuclear, one diesel. Um, I've commanded submarines, ships. Um, I've been uh, on operational tours in Iraq, in Northern Ireland. I spent some time in Afghanistan. I've worked in the training organisation, the procurement organisation, I worked for a period of time for our Chancellor uh, in the Treasury, um, so I sort of understand money, but only money with big numbers. And I am responsible for the Navy strategy that we're currently implemented, uh, implementing, and in my last role, as I say, a great title, Second Sea Lord, and that was effectively Chief Executive of the Navy, 35,000 people, about 16 billion Australian dollar budget and everything from people through capability. Um, in terms of Babcock, I joined Babcock about no, 10 months ago now, I guess, and did so because I think it's significantly and strategically important that we get this right. This is a tripartite strategic uh, conversation that delivers uh, more nuclear submarines to the Indo-Pacific. It helps the UK program, it gets us more submarines more quickly, and it gives Australia an indigenous and sovereign nuclear submarine capability, which is strategic in nature. And why why Babcock? Babcock have done this in the UK for about 50, 60 years. We've been in in it since the outset of nuclear submarines in the UK. Uh, What do we do? We do everything from regulation right the way through to disposal, including elements of build, and we do all of the nuclear support to all of the nuclear submarines in the UK. We operate two of the nuclear licensed sites, um, one in Faslane, which is effectively the operational site for submarines, and one in Devonport, which is effectively the deep maintenance site for submarines. So we, we, we've got a long history in this space. Quite clearly, uh, lots of experience with submarines and especially nuclear submarines in the UK. Uh, are you able to expand a little on what uh, other operations Babcock is involved in? So Babcock has a very broad portfolio. Um, we have a, a marine division, a land division, uh, an aviation division. We have uh, elements in mission systems and we provide some elements of civilian critical services uh, across the globe. So we operate in a number of countries, specifically um, those which we would call um, our core footprint, Canada, France, uh, South Africa, and UK, obviously, but most importantly for growth uh, and investment actually is Australasia. And our chief executive, David Lockwood, is on record as saying that's where we think the best opportunity is, but also the the best set of activities, particularly under AUKUS, 
both pillar one and pillar two, and by that I mean pillar one nuclear propulsion, pillar two is sort of a catch-all for everything else, including AI, undersea dominance, uh, hypersonics, and, and, and. So this is the biggest single opportunity we will see in my lifetime. The corollary of that is if we don't get it right, it's the biggest single risk. Nick, thanks for that great overview of Babcock's operations in general. Are you able to give a little bit more specific information about Babcock's operations here in Australia? Yeah, thanks, Grant. And that's really uh, important because we're the premier warship sustainment company here in Australia. We employ about 1,800 people. We do uh, all of the support for the Royal Australian Navy's Anzac-class frigates, the Canberra-class helicopter docks and their associated landing craft between both Australia's east uh, and west coast. Um, importantly for submarines, in partnership with ASC, we do um, design manufacturing through life support for critical systems for the Collins-class submarines. We provide 100% of maintenance and operations in the uh, headquarters and dockyards in New Zealand for the Royal New Zealand Navy. Uh, and we're basically uh, looking to expand indigenously in Australasia to support the opportunity that AUKUS creates. So we're, we're recruiting. So anybody that's listening, you know, come and give us a call. <laughs> Fantastic. Always good to put the plug in. If in, if in doubt, use every opportunity, Grant. That's the, that's the, the right answer. Yes, it's a, it's a very epic scale program. And uh, I guess that's why Babcock has set up a new division specifically for AUKUS and International. Uh, are you able to talk about what what went into coming up with a new division and what the benefits are that that division will provide? Yeah, so when I say Australasia is the sort of area for, in, for investment, I'd like to think that I am part of that investment, but other, others others will have a view. But, but fundamentally, <laughs> it's about, this is not about UK reach forward. This is about Australia reach back. And what do I mean by that? It's really important that this is not Babcock UK parachuting activity into Australia, putting, you know, towels on the lounges and just saying, hey, don't worry about it, fellas, we're here. This is about coordinating the response between Australia in order to provide a sovereign nuclear capability and the UK where a sovereign nuclear capability experience exists. If I was to say, um, if you think of it as, as a sort of um, three-thirds of the whole the two-thirds that are UK and US are currently populated to, doesn't really pick a number, but, but somewhere somewhere north of 80, 85, 90% in terms of resource. In Australia, that number's single digits. It's really low down. What you can't do, though, in order to make it all work, is spread the existing two-thirds into the third. That, that just won't work. The resource is finite, and actually what will happen is all programs will suffer. The only way to make this work is to grow the third third. And that means growing an indigenous sovereign capability in Australia. Now, we don't want to do that. Um, uh, there's a very interesting sort of conversation. We don't, we don't want to do it to you or for you. We want to do it with you. Uh, and that, that conversation is really important to Babcock, which is why the new division has been established to coordinate, cohere, provide direction to the ability for Babcock to be a partner of choice, because that's where we would like to be, of Australia going forward. Okay. And yeah, I can see what you mean about new division allows you to focus on that. So uh, let's come back to nuclear submarines. 
So we want to have a nuclear submarine capability here in Australia. So what are your thoughts on the infrastructure required to establish and support that capability? Um, so, Grant, it, it sounds a bit trite, but there are there are only three things you need to make nuclear submarines work. You need the right amount of people with the right skills, you need the right amount of materiel, and you need the right infrastructure to put the first two things together. Now, and I know that sounds a bit straightforward, but you know what? You can probably boil it down to that, and you can have any level of granularity that you want. So, in terms of infrastructure, Australia is going to need everything from build through support, through disposal, which is a sort of a, you know, the entire nuclear gamut, if you like. Um, and it's going to need to be able to do that. I understand, you know, I understand that South Australia, Adelaide has been chosen for build. Um, that's, that's great. Um, Henderson, probably where they're likely to operate from in the first place, possibly an East Coast base, that sort of um, works. Uh, disposal, I think that's yet to be yet to be decided. It might be that having a build and then ultimately a disposal site is required. Um, but all of those things lead you through this timeline of effectively um, more regular visits from UK and US platforms, which leads to permanent deployment of US platforms, which leads to ownership of Virginia platforms, which leads to ownership of SSN AUKUS platforms. And that's a sort of graduated scale over somewhere between 10 and 15 years. Um, and, and we must be clear that the optimum delivery schedule here is to bring SSN AUKUS as far left as is practicable, getting the majority of you know, the, the biggest bang for the buck is is really clear here so in terms of infrastructure yeah that's a lot of concrete to pour uh, and it takes some time um and it needs some thought uh if i'm being entirely frank you know the, the dockyard we operate in um devonport in uk which we we own on behalf of um uk MOD, um evolved from being a victorian dockyard um and therefore it is an optimized very, very sophisticated Victorian dockyard. Um, what what Australia wants is not that. It wants a uh, you know a, a brand new digital, data enabled um, uh, build and support facility that uh, is optimised to deliver everything it needs to deliver, and it has the opportunity to do that from a greenfield site. And it's a great, um, a great place to be. Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, bringing telephone communications to areas that have never had it and they've gone straight for mobile because they never had the need for landlines they were able to just go straight for the latest technology would you say that's a similar kind of scenario absolutely and that, that's why i think somebody like babcock uh, can be so helpful because you don't you don't want to you don't want 50 years of lessons you want actually all of those lessons encompassed in moving forward into the 50 years going forward we don't we don't want to spend all of our time telling you uh, how, how, how bad it has been or can be. We want to tell you how good it is uh, and how great it will be by incorporating those lessons. And it's a really good analogy that says S skip everything and you go straight to 5G. Yep. The, uh, I've heard over many years that uh, 
everyone who brings up the topic of supporting a nuclear capability in Australia has always said at least 10 years lead time to build the knowledge, the courses and so on. So I'm quite happy to hear you say the the 10 to 15, because that does sound like a, a realistic, yes, we want to bring everything as far left as possible, but realistically, it does seem like there's a lot of effort required uh, because you've got academia and, and industry as well as within defence, haven't you? Yeah, so I've made the point previously that, that you've, currently got children at primary school who will be the people who are working on board your nuclear submarines when they come. Um, yep. and, we, and we need to be really clear that you, you don't you don't need an entire country of nuclear engineers. That's not what we're talking about. You need, you need a lot of engineers, some of whom are nuclear, but you need a whole bunch of other stuff. You need data analysts, you need um, program managers, you need um, people who are able to do, you know, even, even driving a crane, Doing a crane nuclear lift is different to doing a crane normal lift. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that just needs to be done, and therefore uh, strategic workforce planning is critical, um, and that that needs to start now. Strategic infrastructure planning is critical, and that needs to start now. Strategic build and support partnerships are critical and need to start now, and all of those things are linked because, of course, they all have an impact on one another. And it's, it's almost a bit like um, people are sort of going, oh, it's very difficult. There's all, all this stuff is happening, and where do we start? Well, the answer is start at the beginning. Um, but actually, uh, my view has always been set a target um, at, to the right and then work from right to left. Determine what mm-hmm. must be true and then go after it. So if we say the first, the first SSN AUKUS is going to be in the water in 2038, doesn't really matter whether that's the date or not, but let's say that's the, let's say that's a, an ambitious target. Let's say that's yes. an ambitious target. Okay, right. Um, not oh, it can't be done. No, no. What must be true? Um, mm. And therefore, what do we what do we need to put in place? And how fast do we need to go? And what partnerships do we need to establish? And uh, and and what what uh, what things need to be delivered? Not not oh you know well, the answer is twenty fifty never. No 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 stop. The answer is you've got we've got to go harder at this because. This is strategically significant, and strategically significant means whatever is necessary. Well, speaking of whatever is necessary, we've talked about the skills and and so on, but nuclear capability brings with it a number of safety aspects and also regulatory oversight and specifications and so on to help ensure that we don't cause a problem, and problems in the nuclear world can be quite dramatic. So- what are your thoughts on the regulatory and safety frameworks that we're going to need here in Australia to support this capability? So, so Grant, we need to be really clear. The reason that not, not many nations in the world operate nuclear submarines is because it's hard. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, a, there's a reason <laughs> yes. that not everybody's got them. Um, uh, and that means there are a whole series of issues around nuclear stewardship. There's a whole series of issues around uh, governance process and, and, and. Now, there are existing regulatory frameworks in the US, existing regulatory frameworks in the UK. You will need to either choose one of those um, or you will need to provide your own. And there are elements, I would say, that are probably less than optimum in both. And therefore, choosing the Australian system that is the best of all worlds, not the lowest common denominator, mm the best of all worlds will give you an opportunity to set that up from scratch whereas of course both the US and the UK system have evolved over time 
So that evolutionary process is not necessarily always as, as optimal as optimal as it can be. So again, in the in the greenfield site conversation, I think you've got a chance to to do this. And if I go back to visits, deployments, ownership, and then SSN orcas, there is a period of time within which to deliver this regulatory framework. But uh, I mean, you're going to need help doing that. I mean, that's just there's no point trying to. Uh, hide the fact that you're going to need help. Uh, we do that in the UK. There are other people that do it, but you know, you choose somebody and let's get started. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the key. Let's get started. Uh, I believe that um, the Australian Navy's already had some um, submariners and and other folks embedded within the UK and within the USA to start building that knowledge even before the AUKUS agreement. Uh, so, that, But that's going to be a big part of it, isn't it? Uh, bringing people in. So as you said, bring in the, 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 the young now who will just be almost practically swabbing the decks so that by the time we've got uh, permanent bases, by the time we've got SSN AUKUS, we have some senior leaders ready to go. Yeah, Grant, and this is it's really important. So we, we, we operate... Routinely together with uh, you know Australia, US, UK. I think that's that's a long-standing activity. The RAN and the RN are particularly close. Have been they've they've always been siblings in that sense, uh, and that that will continue. I think there's expertise that needs to be transferred, and that the best way to get expertise is to go and do it. So having more people in a sort of an exchange program, uh, Navy to Navy is required. Having more people in an exchange program, industry to industry is required. Having more people in an exchange program, government to government is required. So there's sort of layers of this exchange activity that needs to be put in place quite quickly. But I think it's really important to know, to recognize that the resource currently is, is finite. And it's, and it's, I say, the reason it's hard is because it's hard. So we need to find a way of making this different in Australia. Uh, and, I, and I think you've got the most fantastic opportunity to make this a national endeavour, to make this a conversation around national security that everybody is part of. I've, I've sort of compared it in past a bit like to it's your moonshot. It's the, you know, the, the, the apocryphal story where Kennedy asks the, the man sweeping the office floor in, in NASA, what are you doing? And he says, I'm putting a man on the moon. That, mm-hmm. that's, that's the conversation that needs to take place. AUKUS needs an identity. It needs, a, it needs something that we can all hang our hat on, particularly in Australia as you, as you get started. And I think that that's and more than doable. The opportunity is there. I think we need to change the name. Perhaps your listeners can come up with some ideas and not, not, <laughs> not, not rude ones, more, more importantly, but you know, what, what would uh, encourage or what would catch the national interest? What, what's something we can all rally around because it's a this is a uh, you know once you're in you're in this is a this is yeah. a fifth year endeavor yeah no it's huge and yes there there have been some comments about the name and uh, some of the folks who are into their fantasy role-playing have made the comment about uh, orcus o-r-c-u-s yeah. referring to something less than ideal um, but uh yeah that would actually be interesting to uh, open that up and hopefully not get subby mix subface or something like that <laughs> which is <laughs> the the risk when you open it up to the general public but yeah never never, okay, ask, but, never ask a question you don't want the answer to exactly exactly we've talked about uh nuclear capability so as you indicated earlier in our discussion there's a lot more to AUKUS than so-called just nuclear capability there's cyber hypersonics and so on so can you give us an indication of what skills and experience Babcock is able to provide into Australia to help us 
assimilate, take on, use, and expand on some of those additional technologies? Yeah, so I think it's really interesting because Orcus Pillar 2, it's sort of a catch-all for just about anything you can think of. And, and we've, we've highlighted a whole bunch of stuff, and I think they were just things that seemed to be important at the time because I, I think you can probably swing all that together and go, this is about how you exchange technology more quickly between nations that need it in order to deliver world-beating you know, military capability at a pace that is relevant. So I think if you were to sort of say that's what Pillar 2 is about, the subset of all of that, of course, is well, what do we do? Well, our mission systems division is, is very heavily moving forward into the autonomous space. We don't, we don't make things, so we don't make things that are autonomous. What we do is we engineer and integrate systems from that that allow you to deliver capability. So what's more important here, I think, than necessarily just the product is actually what you get to do with the product. Because I come back to that first conversation about how you get more military uh, operational capability to the warfighter more quickly. Because currently we struggle with, we have procurement timelines that are too long. They're outside the level of obsolescence. They're outside the conversation space that says you need to do this more quickly. Uh, and therefore we need to think of a different way of doing it. It's a bit back, back to your sort of mobile phone analogy. We need, we need to get to a technology transfer sort of conversation that looks more like mobile phones that your, your hardware is sort of okay, but you get an update every month in terms of the software. Your applications are updated as fast as people can go. And when your hardware, you know, when you're sick of your hardware, two years, you get a new, you get a new, you get a new handset. That's the conversation that needs to be there. What Babcock doesn't do is it doesn't do things like hypersonics. It's not into uh, some of the, the, the higher end things. And there are many, many, many people who are much better at that. But I come back to what value we add is we add high-tech engineering support services and integration that allows other people allows us to take you know other people's equipment and make more of it. Does that make sense? Yep, no, that's great. That's it's building on what others have done to help add even more capability and so on. Yes, add, add value and do it more quickly, and that that's got to be. That's that's actually what you know. If it comes back to what why why is pillar two pillar two? Well, pillar two is about trying to get to this more quickly in a way that we've struggled with, and it's the opportunity. Not park the nuclear submarine conversation, where a whole series of questions of data transfer and ITAR in terms of who who owns who owns IP, etc. All, all of those things will have to be worked out. But in pillar two, they'll have to be worked out more quickly in more areas, and we're going to have to have that data sharing nirvana that we've never quite got to we've always talked about it yep. but it needs to happen yeah you're interesting you bring up itar i was going to ask you about that because i see that as a big risk to the ability to get everything happening let alone bringing th dates closer to the left in terms of itar shared security clearances all the things that can trip this up and and introduce delays and are you aware of any work being done to assess that, to work between the three governments to determine how FMS, you know, foreign military sale, ITAR and other things can be streamlined to help here? Yeah, so that, that, that's been going since since day one or so almost probably since day minus one, frankly, because um, it's the it's the thing that will enable or disable the agreement. Now, the fact, the fact that we've got 
the President of the United States uh, and two Prime Ministers of Australia and UK standing, you know, on a dockside in San Diego saying we're going to do this. If if that if that can't be done, then our democratic systems are failing. When actually the <laughs> leaders of the country say get it sorted, and everybody goes, oh, well, you don't understand, Mr. President or Mr. Prime Minister, you don't understand. No, 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 that's not good enough. The point here is though, to we need to move from interoperability. Interoperability is the ability to talk to people on radios and work together. Interchangeability is the ability to move things around seamlessly between countries, and that includes people. So your security clearance needs to be recognizable in three nations. Your skills and accreditation needs to be recognizable in three nations. If I had my way, we would establish something like a nuclear employment enterprise where you would be able to move seamlessly between countries, between governments, between navies and industry in order to make the resource that is finite go to the places it is most necessary in, in a priority sort of order. Um, you know, and, and you know, it's turning around and saying, jo- join us, join us at 18, we will guarantee you employment until you're 68 or whatever the number is. Um, it, might, it might be 78 by the time we get there. But the, the, the point is, we will, <laughs> gar- we will guarantee you this employment within the enterprise in this fantastic set of opportunities in these fantastic countries doing fantastic things with the most high-tech equipment that the world builds that operates in the most hostile environment on the planet. Uh, and, you know, why, why would you not want to be part of this? I mean, hopefully you can, you can hear from my sort of level of enthusiasm that I, I'm, you know, this is pretty, I'm pretty passionate about making sure we get this right. And I think your reference to President Kennedy and double moonshot and so on is spot on. This is a moonshot equivalent. It's going to need everything, everywhere, and lots of new tech, new processes, new everything. Yeah, and, 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 let's, and let's be really clear. Kennedy said by 1969, because that was the end of his presidential term. There wasn't anything more sophisticated in it than I want. I want the benefit. So let's yeah. so let's so let's work that through. Um, you know, let, let's think about what that looks like because there are many political turns of the handle here to take place before the time of, of delivery. And what we want to ensure is that having embarked on the strategic journey, we're not distracted tactically by some of the things that will buffet us on the way. And therefore, the strategic outcome is first platform in the water by 2038, whatever the number is, right, that is the end. Nothing will distract us from that. What must be true, the politics of this is not is, is, is interesting but irrelevant because that is the strategic aim. Uh, and therefore, what do we do? And, and if I was Australia now, I'd be looking at how do I get a quarterly drop of AUKUS trajectory in order to both maintain momentum, maintain interest, demonstrate commitment, move the program forward, so that you know once every three months or whatever it is, there is a deliverable that means that we are moving towards this twenty thirty eight or whatever the timeline is. Because the da- the danger is it's so big it gets sort of parked away, it becomes its own its own thing, a life of its own. Everybody declares secrecy because it's very it's very easy to do that around nuclear submarines. That's not the point. This is a national endeavour. Every person, every citizen of the Commonwealth should have an interest in this and know what's going on. And that would give you your inch pebbles towards your milestones, towards your big deliverables. Absolutely. And it, and it just means that you maintain the momentum, you maintain the interest levels, you maintain the commitment at the national level. Well, Nick, this has been great. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on while we're here chatting? Uh, no, Grant, only to say, look, thanks very much. Um, I hope that was of some interest to your listeners. If I just leave everybody with one message, this is this is strategically significant. 
if I was to say how, how I do this, this is important for our nations, uh, it's important for our navies, it's then important for our industries. And I mean, I, and that, that's not to say, you know, Babcock pays my, pays my wages. So I, I'm here to deliver on behalf of Babcock. But actually, the, the win-win here is that we get all of this right in order to deliver. Because if we don't, then actually we'll be in a really bad place and we'll only have ourselves to blame. Well, Sir Nick Hine, Managing Director of Babcock's new AUKUS and International Division, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. This has been a really interesting conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Ron. A pleasure. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening once again. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from this show. Meanwhile, thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode. The ADM Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yaffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence, or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au, or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.